Good evening, everyone. Thank you very much for coming. We'll be actually discussing the third part of Paramatma Sandarbha beginning this evening. The third part is dealing with the Bahiranga Shakti. So the ontology of Maya, what is the actual situation of the Lord's external energy? So we're looking at a terminology here of Antaranga, Tatasta, and Bahiranga. Now the same, the use of these words in the Sandarbha here, different usages could be there. We could refer to the internal potency, Antaranga Shakti, internal potency. We could also refer to that as the Sarup Shakti. So that's said a lot, Swarup Shakti. And in regards to the Tatasta Shakti, we can say Jiva Shakti. They are synonymous. It is actually the position of the Jiva. It is the Tatasta Shakti of the Paramatma feature of the Supreme Lord. And when it comes to the external energy, we could call it the Maya Shakti. Or in this, in this instance, Jiva is using the nomenclature Bahiranga Shakti. So we have these three internal, external, and marginal potencies of the Supreme Lord. So Sri Jiva Goswami begins his discussion of the Bahiranga Shakti, or the Maya Shakti, by pointing out that it actually has two aspects. The instrumental Namita and the constituent, Upadana. So these are two different aspects of Maya or the Baharangi Shakti, the extrinsic energy. So we'll begin by actually reading the 48th Anucheta. Jiva Goswami begins by saying, in this way, the intermediary Tatasta, potency of Paramatma, has been described. The potency called intrinsic, Antaranga, should be known as previously explained in the Bhagavat Sandarva. So I've already explained, saying, we've already covered the internal potency of the Lord in, in a whole Sandarva, the Bhagavat Sandarva. Now we have the, now I'm presenting the Paramatma Sandarva. And We've already discussed in the Paramatma Sandarbha what's the intrinsic nature of the Tatasta Shakti or the Jiva. Now we shall discuss the potency known as extrinsic, Bahiranga. Sage Antariksha told King Nimi, and then we have a verse from the Bhagavatam. We have described this tricolored Maya of Bhagavan that creates, sustains, and dissolves the universe. What more do you wish to hear? So this is from the 11th canto. Jiva continues his commentary. Bhagavat, or Bhagavan, here means of Paramatma, who has divine majesty and power, Aishvarya, that are rooted in his own intrinsic nature. This potency called Maya, which is operative in the matter of cosmic creation, maintains and 
maintenance and dissolution was referred to earlier in terms of its incidental characteristics, tatastalakshana. It is known as tree varna, or tricolored, signifying that which is constituted of the three gunas as depicted by the followers of Atharva. Then, uh, a quote, The potency of Bhagavan, which fulfills all desires, is white, black, and red. That is made up of the gunas. That it is made up of the gunas is also stated in the Gita. This divine maya of mind, consisting of the gunas, is very difficult to cross. Jiva Goswami is beginning with a very broad definition of what is Maya, what is the Bahiranga Shakti. It is that potency of the Lord, and it's it's constituted of three different aspects in the way that it involves evolves in the material universe. It involves through these three, as stated here, tricolored. Tricolored, the mode of goodness, the mode of passion, and the mode of ignorance. So these three modes predominate within the Lord's external energy. So really, at, in the very beginning, he's just giving this broad definition. In this very first anacheta, broad definition. So it's a short uh, commentary, and I, I think we'll just read it because it it it, it sheds light on how Jiva Goswami is going to proceed in this uh, part of the Paramatma Sandarva. We say part because Anucheta means section, so it has a hundred sections, but three general parts: the Lord, the Paramatma feature directly we covered pretty comprehensively in the last discussion, and then the Tathasta Shakti and the Vaharanga Shakti. So in this section, Sri Jiva begins a new topic, the description of the Vaharanga Shakti, or the extrinsic potency. This account continues till Anacheta 55. Paramatma presides over both the Tathasta and Vaharanga Shaktis. Having defined the incidental and intrinsic characteristics of the Tathasta Shakti, Sri Jiva now begins his explanation of the extrinsic energy or Bahiranga Shakti, which is the Tathasta Shakti, the Tathasta Shakti's field of action, Shetrajna. So when we began to discuss the, the Jiva, what was the very first thing that Jiva Goswami pointed out to us? That the Jiva has a field of action, and he's an observer of that field of action. He's the minute observer, but there's a greater observer of all the actions within the external potency, and that's the Paramatma. So there's two Shetrajyas, two observers. And he kind of emphasized the position of Paramatma at the very beginning that really the, the major observer here is Paramatma. If he wasn't observing what was going on in the material world, well, everything would fall into chaos, basically. 
So that he's the regulator of the whole thing. And now we come to a very interesting point that we have to keep in mind, that the Lord himself manifests in, in different ways. He has unlimited manifestations. So when we talk of Krishna, what aspect of Krishna are we talking about? So when we, when we study scripture, we have to take care to note what's being presented. Are we talking about Krishna in his Leela manifestation as, you know, as he presents himself in Raj? Is that what we say when we mean Krishna? Are we talking about that Krishna in Dwarka, who's a young prince, who's worshipped there with full knowledge of Ashvarya, of all of his potencies, of the fact that he actually is the Supreme Lord. In Vraj, he's the Supreme Lord, but he he's covered over so much by the loving reciprocations with all the residents there that he doesn't really let the cat out of the bag that he's God because that would interfere with, interfere with the loving exchanges there. So he doesn't want any. He, he, he tones the Aishwarya down to the point that when it's brought, when it's made uh, apparent by a specific Leela in Vraj, well, he just doesn't say anything. I mean, here's this huge, this demigod Brahma <coughs> presenting himself before Krishna, and Krishna's like, hey, fellas, look at this guy here. He's, uh, you know, looks kind of funny. What's, all, what's he doing praying to me? You know, in other words, he doesn't even let on. And he does not, cons not only does he not let on, but he's actually not even in his godhood in Vraj. So really, Brahma coming to, you know, it's like, here, let me, let me just ex exhibit some mystic opulence here, and you can see just you can see, the cowherd boys can't see, but I'll show you all these Vishnu manifestations, which were the cows and the cat the calves and the cowherd boys, and you know, you can be dumbfounded by this and uh and, and then maybe you can just leave me alone, you know. <laughs> you, you you tried you tried to trick me, now see my trick on you and be done with it. Uh, you know, I'm not really in the mood for fiddling around with demigods like you at this point here. I'm playing with my friends, so <laughs> let's just let's put an end to this. And then Brahma's got to, you know, got to, well, I'm sorry, and you are, and other people may say that you, they know about you, but me, the creator of the universe, I've come to realize just by this little enactment of your potency that I know nothing at all. I wouldn't even know where to begin to describe you in your all of your godhood. And Krishna's there, yeah, and I don't really want to hear it right now. So he doesn't really respond to Brahma. There's no dialogue there. And Brahma takes his cue and offers his obeisances and flies off in his swan. And that would, you know, and the coward boys are, wow. 
who is that? Krishna says, I have no idea. Who was it? <laughs> hey, let's go have lunch. I found the calves. They're right here. So in scripture, these different aspects of the Supreme are presented. Just like in scripture, different approaches to the Supreme are there. And different prescriptions for different worshipers who are in different moods. Some are wanting to enjoy material nature, so there's... Some, and they're wanting to enjoy material nature in different ways. So there's, there's scriptures in the mode of goodness. There's scriptures in the mode of ignorance. There's scriptures in the mode of passion. And then there's pure bhakti scriptures. So it's quite a field to navigate, really. When we look to scripture and we look to, you know, taking scriptural statements and putting him in a proper context where they can nurture our spiritual growth or, well, maybe some of us aren't interested in spiritual growth. There's scriptures for those people too. Hopefully that's not in our group. We, we want to nurture spiritual growth. There are scriptures if you want to nurture advancement to the spiritual planets, I mean to the heavenly planets. There's scriptures for those that just, you know, want to uh, enjoy on this planet. So how to navigate, really it's, it's, it's quite a task to be able to navigate. And for us especially, we're concentrating on bhakti scriptures. But even we take this scripture, the Bhagavat Purana, which Jiva Goswami has told us at the beginning of this Sandarbha presentation, which Sandarbha means to bring out the essence of a literature. So he's written a Sandarbha on one literature, the Bhagavat Purana. But even in the Bhagavat Purana, we're going to find statements that Krishna's to Bhagavan Swayam. The, all the different manifestations, all these incarnations are coming from Krishna. In the same Bhagavat Purana, you're going to have statements that the incarnations that are manifest in the world are coming from Vishnu. Well, if they come from Vishnu, then you could logically say, well, Vishnu has to be the source, not Krishna's to Bhagavan. Krishna's the main Bhagavan, but all the incarnations are coming through Vishnu. So how do I reconcile that? How does that play out? How does that so that's why this particular presentation by Jiva Goswami is so instrumental to nourishing our spiritual growth because we're going to come into this now we're going to start studying the Lord's external energy the Bhairanga Shakti the Maya Shakti and it's, real, it's going to be a very interesting presentation to understand what exactly is, is the nature of this Maya. What, how's it run? How's it working? And 
how's it working in relationship to the Paramatma feature of the Supreme Lord? So the Lord can be in his Leela feature, in his original form, Krishna's to Bhagavan Swayam. That's what Krishna does. He just enjoys with his most intimate associates in his original feature. But he also has a feature of himself, the Paramatma feature, that manifests the material energy. It's another Leela of his, Shristi Leela. Let me make the universes. So how's that go on? It's a different, it's the same personality of Godhead, but he's enacting enacting his existence differently. And he does that variously in his, you know, in his multitude of manifestations. So the way he acts as the king of kings, Lord Rama, and how he acts as Krishna, they would seem to be, there would be, seem to be great opposition in the way he conducts himself in those two leelas. But they're still the same one supreme personality of Godhead. So, Paramatma presides over both the Tatasta and Vahiranga Shakti. So when we say he presides over them, that means that's, that's his functionality. He's still God. He's not affected by it. But when we talk of the Paramatma feature of the Supreme Lord, that function of the Lord's existence seems to be, although it isn't, but it seems to be, it is and it isn't, let me say it that way, it is and it isn't related to the Lord's external potencies of the Tatasta and the Bahiranga Shakti. Jiva Goswami now begins his explanation of the external energy or Bahiranga Shakti, which is the Tatasta Shakti's field of action. This is called Prasanga Sangati, or a contextual correlation. The Antaranga Shakti, which manifests the transcendental abode, associates and divide play of Bhagavan, was already explained in the Bhagavat Sandarbha. The Bahiranga Shakti is known by different names, such as Prakriti, Maya, and Durga. The incidental characteristics, Tatasta Lakshana, of the Bahiranga Shakti refers to its role in the matter of cosmic creation, sustenance, and dissolution. Although these functions are ultimately conducted by Paramatma, who manifests as the three Guna avatars, they are executed in a secondary sense by the Baharanga Shakti consisting of the three Gunas. So... Known as Durga, Maya, uh, Prakriti. So, what really is moving the material nature? Well, here in the very beginning, generally, the three, the material nature is looked at as tricolored. It's being pushed around by these modes of material nature. It's, it's 
that's what is the is one way of looking at. Now, as we go through this, we're going to develop a much broader definition and, and entry into the understanding of the Lord's material energy. But generally speaking, here we can look that well, this is this is the the play of Paramatma, his play of creation, really. But what? How's how's it coming about? So in the beginning here, according to these functions, are ultimately conducted by Paramatma. Ultimately, Paramatma's conducting everything. Mamayvam sol jiva loke jiva bhuta sanatana. This material energy of mine, Krishna says, it's mine. Well, it's not Krishna speaking there. Paramatma is speaking there. So again, knowing the context, Krishna is not going to be saying to the cowherd boys, hey, I got this energy called Maya and, you know, this, is, this energy of mine made of the three modes of material nature is difficult to overcome. Well, you have an energy? You know, that doesn't, it doesn't fit in the context of Krishna's Leela. So it's Paramatma's Leela. It's a different, it's a different aspect of God, a different functionality. So who can figure out Krishna? But we're going to try a little bit to understand his Maya. Now we will proceed to get a little deeper understanding. The ontology of Maya. Vaharanga Shakti. The instrument, mental, nimita, instrumental. It's making it work. And what's the what's what's it constituted of? So these two aspects. Upadana and Nimita. Two divisions of Maharanga Shakti. So Jiva now presents the way that this particular presentation of the Paramatma Sandarva has been put together. We're going to discuss discuss in in one group Anachetas forty nine through fifty two. So Jiva Goswami continues. This Maya also has two parts. So three influences, red, white, black, mode of passion, mode of goodness, and mode of ignorance. So it also has two parts. So three major influences, goodness, passion, and ignorance. And good to remember is when we discuss those in relationship to the material energy, there's no pure ignorance, no pure passion, no pure goodness. They're mixed. You're never going to find a pure presentation of evil in the world or ignorance. There's always going to be a mixture there. You're never going to find that ultimate lack of all knowledge, which is what ignorance is. Out of ignorance. No knowledge at all. There will always be a little touch of knowledge there. A little touch of passion there. And even in goodness where it's full of knowledge and light and, you know, all things good in the world, we could say, 
well, it's not going to be quite all perfectly good in the world. Sattva. It's got to be mixed with a little passion and a little ignorance, even in its purest form as can be experienced within the realm of the Lord's external energy. So now, three influences. Now, Jiva presents in two parts. Maya also has two parts. In four verses, Bhagavan describes the mutual difference between the instrumental part, Namita Amsa, called Maya, in the form of the Gunas, and the constituent part, Upadana Amsa, called Pradana, in the form of primordial matter. So, matter is just that, matter. Subtle and gross. Then there's the instrumental part. So now we're going to get into something exciting. What is the instrumental part? Well, it comes in the form of those three influences we just talked about. But what actually, what's that mean? Because Maya is not conscious. Right? Maya is the Lord. I mean, we know basically there's three energies. The internal, the external. So the internal is conscious. The external is conscious. And the Tatasta is also conscious. So never have we heard that the Maya constituent, the external constituent, the Baharanga Shakti is conscious. So it has none of those intrinsic qualities that we just went over in detail. So, it's constituted of three gunas and it certainly feels like the three gunas are acting. But we know from the way Jiva told us the nature of the the Jiva talking about the Jiva, he said that what are those characteristics? The Jiva is what? It has the ability to act. It has the ability to know. And it has the ability to experience. Didn't say that in relationship to the external energy. So then what What exactly? Now we're going to enter into what exactly is this instrumental part? And generally when we think of an instrument, it's... It's something that does so. It's it's a tool, and it is. It's a tool, but it has to pass. Somebody's got to be using the tool. So how do we use? How do we? How does our instrumental instrumentality play out in material nature? So Jiva Goswami begins by quoting from Krishna's instructions to Uddhava in the 11th canto of the Srimad Bhagavatam the section of the Srimad Bhagavatam is referred to as the Uddhava Gita uh, and there he, here he's instructing Uddhava in Sankhya remember Sankhya the way that all the different elements evolve how the material energy comes from non-existence into existence so he begins at the very verse, very first verse of the twenty-fourth chapter of the eleventh canto. 
I shall now explain to you, this is Krishna talking to Uddhava, the principles of Sankhya as established by the teachers of the past, realizing which a person should immediately give up the delusion of difference. I'm going to give you knowledge of Sankhya by which you're going to give up the illusion of duality. You're going to rise above the dualities of material existence if you can just absorb this knowledge I'm trying to explain to you. Wow, that sounds that interesting. <laughs> if I could just get, get this, because that's what Krishna's saying here. The delusion of difference. If you understand this, the delusion of difference will be dissipated. Now, what Jiva Goswami does is he doesn't comment himself. For this whole section of a small group of Anachetas, for the most part, he relies on the Srimad Bhagavatam commentary of Sridhar Swami to explain what the verses mean. Swami comments, that's what Jiva writes, all dualities spring forth and again merge back into Paramatma, who is one without a second. Through the influence of Maya, or the combination of Prakriti and Purusha. For one who deliberates on this, the delusion of duality is dispelled. With this intent, Bhagavan begins his discourse on Sankhya, beginning with this verse. The word Prakriti here, in the commentary, is to be taken as a synonym of pradana. So, the, the, the constituent part, the matter part, pradana. Thereafter it is stated, and now he goes on to, to present to us in this Anucheta, the second verse of that same chapter of the Bhagavatam. In the period of dissolution prior to the new cycle of yugas, so at the end of every four yugas, there's a dissolution and then the four yugas begin again. And that cycle, it happens 1,000 times in a day of Brahma. 71 times, 71 cycles in the reign of a Manvantara. So the Manvantaras, the Manus, who, mani who manage a 71 Yuga cycle period in the day of Brahma. So it's a long time to us. To Brahma, it's a day. And guess what? He gets to see Krishna every day at around noon. Not bad. Of course, every day at around noon, he gets put in his place, but, you know, <laughs> that's another thing. Because every day of Brahma, Krishna personally comes. That's a lot of coming and going. How many Brahmas were we talking about from the last class? In how many universes? And what size were the universes based on the heads of the Brahmas that our Brahma saw 
But the other Brahmas didn't see all the Brahmas. They just knew that the Lord summons them. So just imagine. So every midday for every Brahma and every one of his days, Krishna is coming into that universe. And we can't count the universes. Of course, we get a glimpse into the ability of Krishna to do that when we look to Narada's experience in Dwarka of going from palace to palace and absorbing, absorb, absorb, observing, observing Krishna in all those different palaces engaged in all those different activities with all his different families. And they were all different. In one palace he was playing chess and another palace he was smelling the head of his child you can imagine so in every palace he has a whole life going on with his wife there and Nard is going from palace to palace and saying how is this happening 16,108 palaces and every one Krishna is a different person but he isn't it doesn't fit between the years that kind of an understanding so what to speak of an understanding that in every day of Brahma, Krishna is coming into every universe for a period in earthly years of about 125 earthly years and enacting his pastimes. And we can't even begin. There's more universes than the grains of sand on a beach. How can how could we comprehend that? Back to the task at hand. Mm-hmm. So, if if we contemplate and understand the Sankhya philosophy Krishna is trying to present here, we're going to be free of illusion. That's what Krishna's told telling Uddhava. Okay, so prakriti and pradana are synonymous according to Sridhar Swami. Thereafter, it is stated in the next verse, in the period of dissolution prior to the new cycle of yugas, ayuga, so the term ayuga is used when the yugas aren't, aren't, aren't there. They're not manifesting an influence at that time. There's a, little, there's a little off time between the ending of one four yuga period and the beginning of the next four yuga period. And in the beginning, during Satya Yuga. So not only during the off time, but also in the beginning of Satya Yuga, both of those periods, when discrimination was highly evolved, consciousness, the seer, as well as presentational phenomena, the scene, were one only and undifferentiated. What's the nature of those people in Satya Yuga? I'll explain it to you, if that'll do. What's the nature of people in Satya Yuga? Pure goodness. Pure. Almost pure. As pure as it can get. And what's the nature of their... They, they live in a, in, a, in a state of samadhi. They're all perfected, you know, in Satya Yuga. The, the, those that are in the human form of life are, are near perfection. 
what's the nature of those people who who are of that level of spiritual qualification? They don't see a discrimination. What are they? They're Atmaramas. They're Jivan Muktas. They're liberated within the human form. Just like Asukadev Goswami before influence with Bhakti, he was a Jivan Mukta. So in that state of Jivan Mukta, did he differentiate? No. He didn't see a difference between a naked girl and a tree. It didn't affect him. Now, when his father came along, that was another thing. But he was that was his spiritual qualification. This is speaking, Krishna is speaking in this verse to Uddhava and saying, that state of awareness of non-duality, the non-duality of existence, exists for the jivas, when there's a downtime between the ending of Kali Yuga and the beginning of Satya Yuga and at the very beginning of Satya Yuga also those entities at the beginning of the next Yuga cycle also have such an elevated state of conscious, transcendental conscious awareness that they do not see material distinctions. It's like a state of samadhi at that point. So now he continues. Swami comments, he writes, Ato, as well as, is used here in the sense of total, the totality of conscious subjects together with the totality of presentational, presentational phenomena. Here, consciousness, gyan, refers to the seer, drasta, which with which the totality of presentational phenomena, arta, in the form of the scene, drishya, were one only. They're like pretty high entities. They're like, they're totally in, they're totally in concert with their environment. Like, what they're seeing is, like they're directly experiencing the scene. In other words, it's a state of awareness that, that's beyond us. We're in Kali Yuga. We're talking about Satya Yuga. We live a hundred years. They live, um, you know, what is it? A hundred, uh, huh? A hundred thousand years. And we're just talking about at the very beginning of Satya Yuga before they, it, the whole thing starts to go downhill. In other words, this is the very, the epitome of conscious awareness of of the living entities at that period. And then from there, well, it goes downhill. Yes? Um, do all the jivas come at once? Or do they come different times throughout the... Like, are all the jivas that are in the universe come at the same time? We've also heard that our universe is very young. That we're like, we're a little teeny universe with a little Brahma with only four heads. So, 
again, we're trying, you're, we're trying to measure it with our conceptions of time. And we're saying, well, do all the universes pop out of Karna Dakshai Vishnu simultaneously? I, I recognize, and I think it's, it's glorious that we, that we could start to think about all these particulars. But we also have to rein our inquisitiveness into the constructs of our devotional aspiration. Do I need to understand everything about every aspect of all the energies of the Lord? No. Jiva's giving us some really deep presentation that he has has milked. He's he's mined and he's milked from the Bhagavatam these these spiritual conclusions. And they definitely get the intellect, they 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 excite the intellect, and it's like, whoa, wow, I didn't thought of it that way. Wow, this is cool. This is what's happening here. You know. And that's what happens when I study this and try to prepare. It's like, wow, this is some good stuff. But you can get carried away. Well, well, if he said that, then that could mean this. And how far do we let ourselves go down the rabbit hole before we end up in a trip of our own mental concoction? And how do we rein our intellect back to the the position of of using the knowledge to nourish our spiritual development so we have to we have to become expert charioteers of our own environment we can't let our mind which is our heads our leading sense the lead horse so to speak drag us into a place that's that's not going to not going to be beneficial to us. So, yeah, we can take this inquiry up to the point that we can begin to see there's a lot going on here, and then let us put ourselves in the position that we're in the Brahma Madhva Gaudiya Sampradaya, and Brahma's conclusion was. People may say they know you and all of your energies, but for me, I don't know anything. So if that's the head of our Sampradaya's conclusion in regards to the various potencies and energies and presentations, you know, of the Lord and even the Lord's scriptures, because scripture is another what? It's another Shakti of Krishna. So it's his Shakti. Do we even can we fully enter deep, fully understand everything in Scripture? No, it's continually manifesting. It's just like any other of its shaktis. The questions are good, the inquiries are good, but don't expect your mind and intellect to be absolutely satisfied according to your measurement of things. But train your mind and intellect to be fully satisfied with this presentation coming from Guru, Sadhu, and Shastra. As far as it will take you, let that happen.
we didn't get real far, but we started down this road and we will continue. Are there any other questions? You said the, um, you know, the, 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 the three elements, the three elements, the modes, they're all mixed in this world, mm -hmm. in this universe. Um, does that mean even in like a very, very high, high planet that, that, that it still has sort of the ignorance and the passion and a little bit of that as well, even though it's in a very high any place in the material world from the highest plane to the lowest Krishna explains in Bhagavad Gita is a place of misery so there's well misery comes from ignorance so ignorance has to be from the highest down to the lowest and the highest it's the least it's at the least least amount and at the lowest and it's a great but it doesn't matter wherever there's any ignorance then there's ignorance right so it's everywhere, yes. Of course, in the heavenly planets, not a lot. I mean, you live for hundreds of thousands of years in one body. You have mystic opulences. If somebody gets in your way, you just curse them to go to, down to earth, you know. If, if you know, if Yamaraj... Uh, but Indra's in anxiety. Yeah, Indra's in anxiety. Well, he's, in, he's a passionate leader up there. Passion. There's passion. There's the influence the of passion. So planet in the sun to you would have, um, would that be more like a heavenly planet in the sense of when it was born? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, something like that. Again, it's... You can be an Indra and lust after somebody's wife and all of a sudden you're covered with you know what all over your body. <laughs> and then somebody relieves your suffering and say, all right, you just can, you have a lot of eyes now or... You can be like uh, Yamaraj, who all of a sudden is uh, punishing a, a young boy for uh, uh, piercing an insect with a piece of grass, and all of a sudden you're Vidura. Not a bad place to be, but you know, <laughs> you're a Sudra on earth, but you're with Krishna, so wow, what a benediction. All right, we'll stop there for this evening. Thank you, Thank you so much for your association.